0: If you would, please take your Bible and turn to the book of uh, Jeremiah, (coughs) chapter 31, and we're going to be reading verse 15. Can I get some more batteries for this thing? It's blinking. I think that means something's going on here. Would you stand with me as we read Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you, and we pray that our hearts would be as your heart. And you have a heart for all people, but especially those who are weakest, most powerless, and most in need of protection. God, your heart is for those who need protection. Protected by others. Father, we pray that our hearts would be made like your hearts, and our hearts would flow into our bodies, our thoughts, our actions, and our convictions. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Triple A. We'll see how long this double A lasts. Who will weep for the children? We have this obscure verse in Jeremiah chapter 31. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping... Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. You might recognize that phrase from the New Testament as well. But what does this mean? Who's Rama? Who's Rachel? Why the weeping? It takes us back to the book of Genesis. And there somewhere, I think it's around chapter 16, God has given a word to Israel. That is Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. And remember that Jacob wrestled with Bethel wrestled at Bethel with the Lord, the angel of the Lord. He wrestled that with him all night, and there God appeared to them and showed himself, and there he had a life-changing moment. And years later, God calls out to him the last of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the one who has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And God calls out to him and says, go back to that place Called Bethel, where you met me, where you wrestled with me, and there create an altar to worship me. And he goes back up to Bethel. And the way the geography was, here was Bethel, and here was Ramah, and here was Jerusalem, and Bethlehem. So they had gone up from where they were in the south up to Bethel. And at this time, his wife Rebecca was pregnant uh, with their last child. And the pregnancy was not going well at all. In fact, she knew something terrible was going on. She knew something was wrong with her. And in fact, she would go ahead, she would end and lose her life as she was bearing her last son, who she named Ben-Oni. But her husband came back and said, no, his name is Benjamin, which meant son of my right hand, because Ben-Oni meant son of my sorrows. But there she was on the road from Bethel, heading back to Bethlehem. And around the area of Ramah, she entered these great pains. And there was nothing that could be done for her. She was in great pain and torment, not only physically through this hard, hard labor, but also emotionally because she believed that not only would she die, but her son would die as well. But when she actually birthed her son... Even in the moments when the life was seeping out of her, and she was was naming her son, who she thought would be born dead, the midwife spoke to her and encouraged her and said, you have a boy, and he will live. Rachel wept because she thought, not only am I dying, but my offspring is dying I am going to lose this son, which is so precious to me. And we fast forward to the time of Jeremiah the prophet. Rachel, of course, is long dead and gone, buried somewhere between Ramah and Bethlehem. There's more than one place in Israel that if you go, they'll say this is where she was buried. But the Bible tells us later on in Jeremiah that some of the prophets went out and they met at the tomb uh, of Rachel, and it was close to this town of Ramah. And so we know she had just gotten past it on the way to Bethlehem, but not there yet. So Jeremiah comes up here in the middle of his prophecies about what God would do and what was happening to the nation of Israel, he had come to them over and over again because of their greed and their violence and their wickedness. They would not repent. And he said, a day is coming when all of this that you have will be taken away. A day is coming. You must repent. You must stop your wicked ways. And they did not listen to prophet after prophet after prophet. And God said, judgment is coming, And judgment did come. A long-suffering, a patient God delayed his wrath over and over, but that day came when his patience was at an end, and he said, your time, your judgment is here. Under King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians came in, and they took away all the best and the brightest of the children of Israel, and they captured them. We know the stories about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and countless others of the best and brightest young people, children and teenagers in that nation, and they took them away to where their parents would never see them again. And so here there is left in that nation middle-aged and older people, and they're looking around, and there is no new life there. They say, we're going to get old, and we're going to die, and we'll never see our children again. And we happen to know that the staging area for where these exiles were, were uh, corralled and, and, and hoarded into before they were taken across the great desert all the way to the, to the Babylon imp- Empire, they would put them and house them. Just so happened... To be at Ramah. That is where the concentration camp was. And so Jeremiah, he says, I see Rachel. I see Rachel just as she did long ago, facing toward, facing down toward Bethlehem at Ramah, weeping for her children. And Rachel, the great, 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 however many great grandmothers you go on, is now weeping for her children because they are no more. The mothers and the grandmothers realize their future, that is their children, are gone. But God goes on, and he actually tells them, Maybe not all is lost as you think. He goes on in verse 16 and following, and he says, Refrain your voice from weeping and your ears and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children should come back to their own border. God says, Yes, because of all that has been done. Your children are gone. But they're not quite so no more as you think they are. Because one day, in my kindness and compassion, when my time of judgment upon this nation is over, I will bring back the people to their home. This people will remember that they are my people. They will not worship other gods. They will not mess with the sins of the world. They will not involve themselves in idolatry and wickedness anymore. They will come back. And so there is hope. There is hope. It's a very different context, though, when we see these verses about Rachel quoted in Matthew chapter 2. We all know the story of the wise men. They came from afar, travelers from the east, seeking the king of the Jews. And naturally they went to where the king should be, in the capital, in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that they go into Jerusalem asking, Where is he who will be born king of the Jews? And they are jubilantly, excitedly giving this question. And yet the question casts a pallor of fear and doom and doubt over the entire city of Jerusalem. Everyone is abuzz. Everyone is worried because they all know what's going to happen when Herod hears this question. Soon enough, some of his lackeys hear the word and they spread it to Herod. Another man might say, that's a joke. I knew who all my children are. What what about some old prophecy about a king of the Jews being born? But not Herod. Herod, history tells us that he was one of the most vicious and paranoid people in all of history. He killed most of his family while he was still living because he was jealous and it didn't matter if it was wives or children or cousins or uncles. Whoever he thought might be a threat to him, he would get rid of them. And in fact, he had left orders upon his death for a great massacre to occur so that people would weep at his passing. It's the kind of man he was. And when he hears Where is this one born king of the Jews? His paranoia and his fear of an innocent child led him to plot. He pretended. He went to the wise man and said, oh, I can't wait. I want to worship too. Tell me where you find this young king so I might also honor him. They make their way to Bethlehem. The star moves once again, and they find Mary and Joseph and the young boy. And they present their gifts that we all know of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they worship the newborn king. And the Bible tells us they were warned in a dream. Do not go back to Herod. And they went another way. And a day or two or three goes on. And Herod realizes his impatience goes to explosive anger. When he realizes he has been tricked by these men from the east, they are not coming back to him. They are not telling him where exactly they found the child. All he knows is this this general area, this village of Bethlehem. He says, well, they forced my hand. I only wanted to kill one, but they've made me do it. And he orders the slaughter of an entire generation of children two years old and younger. And Matthew, the writer of this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, once again goes back to the story of Rachel. And he pictures Rachel once again facing Bethlehem and weeping and refusing to be comforted for her children are no more. And this time, unlike in Jeremiah, there is no follow-up that says, oh, it's okay, they're coming back. Because these children will have no future, not even in a foreign land. Their time in this life is over. The only thing that they have is the afterlife. And praise God for the hope that was bought, brought into this world by the baby Jesus. Because without that, they would have none at all. But there was no more. There was no word of consolation or comfort because these children and entire generation were gone. I was born in September of 1973. My mom was 37 years old when she had me. Doctors, of course, nowadays people seem like They have children when they're old enough to have grandchildren, and that's very common. But at least at that point, they said, ooh, 37, that's a risk, 37, are you sure? And I'm so thankful that even though I was somewhat of a surprise to my parents, that they never said, this is an inconvenience to us. This is a threat to us and our plans and our lifestyle and what we have coming ahead. Because a few months before I was born, the Supreme Court of the United States has said, it's legal. It's fine. We, as a nation who are known around the world as a Christian nation, we will say it is okay to abort children. Their value is zero until they come through that womb. They're simply fetal tissue. They're simply a a pile of flesh. They are nothing to really be worried about. And if they threaten your convenience, if they make you unhappy, if if they possibly might throw a kink in your lifestyle that's okay and so just as the nation of israel who was supposed to be god's people watched as the children of bethlehem were slaughtered so we as a country that since 1973 have watched Approximately at least 53 million babies die of abortion in this country. If you add up every single war we've had as a country, Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, all of the different skirmishes, the things we couldn't bother to name as a war, and we put all of those deaths together, they do not even come close to the number of deaths through abortion in this country. Who will weep for these children? I don't know about you, but there are certain things in life that disturb me, and I'd rather not look at them. I find it hard when a Uh, something, uh, a picture comes on of a starving child in a foreign country. It's hard for me to look at it. I'd rather not think about the fact that there are people who do not have enough to eat. It's hard for me to look at, at, at certain illnesses people have. I feel too much pain over it. It's hard. And I believe as Christians, we... To protect ourselves we know abortions out there we know what it does we know the lives that it takes and yet we often say I don't want to think about that I don't want to hear that it's the law what can I do but God has called us to be his people even when it's costly he's called us to stand for what is right and we say oh well here here in Mississippi we don't do that. We don't believe that way, right? 6%. In 2015, the last year statistics were available, over 6% of all pregnancies ended in abortion. And I'm not talking about miscarriage or natural things happening. Over 6%. And so if your child is in school or your grandchild and they've got 15 or 20 kids in their class, think about one empty seat. There should be someone else sitting there that's not there because someone said it's too inconvenient. Or someone was bullied and coerced or threatened. Isn't it interesting that those who say this is all about women's rights forget about all those who are pushed and coerced and forced often to cover up rape or other sinful behavior. They are pushed into this. And yet we say, oh, this is all about a woman's rights. When we know every year women across this country are being pushed into having these. Others, of course, are not being pushed and choose it on their own for different reasons. But I can't help but think that most of the time it comes back to Herod. Am I like Herod? No! But Herod was threatened by a baby, how it might change his life, how it might complicate things for him. And he said, I don't want that, I don't want to deal with it, and I'm done. And you say, oh, well, those were children. Those weren't in the womb. Guess what? In the ancient world, that's how life was. Life was up to men. Then, a woman would have the child, and often in ancient societies, she would present that child to her husband, and the husband would look at this child and say, yes, it's mine, or the husband would throw it down, dash it, and say, no, it's not. I do not claim this child. And we would say, such barbarity, we have moved beyond those in this world. We are a modern people. We would not tolerate such. And yet we do, simply on the other side of the womb. We have moved into a place now where people openly push for and rejoice when laws are passed that say, hey, it doesn't matter if that baby is a viable pregnancy, if it could uh, survive outside the womb, anytime. Anytime we feel, that woman feels, she should end that pregnancy. It's okay. Of course, we don't talk about the after effects on those who go through with these. So many folks could tell you, so many women could tell you about what they deal with afterward some physical problems others emotional or spiritual or mental things they deal with for years and not only women not long ago i talked to a, a, to a friend who's older than me doesn't uh, doesn't not a part of our church but he was talking to me about an abortion years ago he was dating a young woman I think she got pregnant They came together. No one forced anyone. They decided, you know, we're not married yet. We're not ready yet. This would be really not good for our life. And so mutually they decided on an abortion. Not long after, they went their separate ways. And this man, years and years and years later... He thinks about that child that he would have had. He no longer has contact with the girlfriend, but he, through the grapevine, understands that her life spiraled out of control after that abortion. And he can't help but wonder himself what part that abortion had to play. Rachel isn't here. To weep for our children. She was weeping for the people of Israel, the Hebrews, the Jews, her descendants. And so I ask today who will weep for our children in America? We live in a place that is creating and further entering to a culture of death. I told you that over 6% of babies born in Mississippi end in abortion. Do you want to know what that figure is in New York? 1 out of every 3 babies are aborted and in that culture of death is it a surprise that they would give a standing ovation when laws are passed that that culture of death that has already been created is now only expanded and made worse it's no surprise at all god help us as a country god help us as his people As Isaiah once said, I'm a man of unclean lips who lives among a people of unclean lips. We might say ourselves, we are a people who are persecuting, who are killing the most innocent among us. And you say, I haven't had an abortion. What have you done to fight it? What have you done to stop it? How have you voted? How have you been truly pro-life? Have you been... Uh, To say, I want to support a crisis pregnancy center. Do you support young mothers who are pregnant or older mothers who are pregnant and don't know what to do? Will you shame them or will you love them? Will you vote to put everything into place to make laws easier for women to give babies up for adoption when necessary and for families to adopt? Because so often there is too much unnecessary red tape. Will you do what we're all tempted to do And ignore the heartbreaking reality of what's going on in our country. Or will you say, I'll do what I can. God, for me and my family, in my life, I will do what I can to stop the horror of abortion in this country. Who will weep for the children? I hope it will be you. But that weeping would grow into conviction, and conviction would grow into action, and action as well as words would be spoken, that you might do whatever you can to change what is becoming a culture of death in our country into a culture of life that honors and protects the most innocent and weakest among us. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father. God, I I, there's things in this world that are overwhelming. There are things that we look at, and God, we say, This is so big. There's so much. It's so hard. And we must simply, as Mary acknowledged when the angel came to visit her, nothing is impossible with God. Father, we have to remember that nothing is impossible with you. Laws can be changed. Behavior can be changed. and Most importantly, hearts can be returned to you. Father, we are not here today to shame or humiliate those who have been touched by abortion in their life, of their own choice or not. And God, we call upon all to remember that there is grace for anything that we have done. But God, we also stand firmly in saying grace is repenting of sin, grace is not excusing or pretending that sin doesn't exist. God, fill us with your grace and your wisdom that we might change this world for you. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.